Accidents are an unavoidable fact of life. Or are they? In this podcast, we discuss current events through one personal injury lawyer's perspective. In each episode, we'll focus on one event and attempt to answer the oftentimes not-so-simple question, who's to blame? I'm your host, Jonathan Ratchick. This podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Kramer, Levy and Ratchick, PLLC, and is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you think you might have a lawsuit, you should contact an attorney. When Erica Tishman left for work on the morning of December 17, 2019, she had no idea she would not be returning home to her husband, Stephen, that evening, or that she would never speak with any of her three children again, or that she would never get to hold her grandson again. A prominent New York City architect, Miss Tishman was walking past 729 7th Avenue, located in Times Square at the southeast corner of 7th Avenue and 29th Street, when a piece of terracotta masonry fell off the 17-story building, hitting her in the head and killing her. Unfortunately for Miss Tishman, she had no way of reasonably knowing that the building had been issued a violation several months earlier by the Department of Buildings for not repairing its facade. No scaffolding under which she could safely walk past the building, or cones directing her into the street and away from the hidden danger that lurked above. In this podcast, I always try to answer the question of who's to blame for tragedies such as this, and many times it's not very straightforward, but in this case, the responsible party is fairly obvious, and that's the building owner, a company called Himmel and Meringhoff, and quite possibly the building's managing agent, Meringhoff Properties. Generally speaking, an owner of real property has a legal duty to maintain its property in a reasonably safe condition and is responsible for any injuries caused by a dangerous condition about which it either knew or, in the exercise of reasonable care, should have known. And in New York City, there's a special law known as Local Law 11, which requires buildings over a certain height, I think it's six stories, to regularly inspect their exterior facades by a professional architect or engineer every five years and to immediately repair any unsafe conditions. Not repair them in a few months or in a few weeks, but immediately, because a facade that's in disrepair poses a clear and present danger to the public safety, and therefore needs to be repaired right away. Sadly, Local Law 11 was enacted after an identical tragedy 30 years ago involving a young college student named Grace Gold. Grace was a freshman at Barnard College when she was struck by a concrete lintel that had fallen off a poorly maintained facade of a Columbia University building built in 1908, struck in the head by a one by two mass of concrete which had fallen 10 stories. The resulting outcry led to the enactment of Local Law 10, which originally required building owners to regularly inspect their facades, and the law was strengthened in 1998 with the passage of Local Law 11. Arguably, there does not seem to be any question that Himmel and Marengoff knew that the facade of its building presented a real and present danger to the public and needed to be repaired right away. In April 2019, only eight months earlier, the building had been given a violation by the New York City Department of Buildings for damaged terracotta at areas above the 15th floor in several locations, which represented a falling hazard for pedestrians. Although the property had obtained approval for performing facade repairs, including a scaffolding and a sidewalk shed, the go-ahead for the performance of the work was apparently never given, hence the reason why there was no sidewalk shed in place to protect Miss Tishman 
when she walked past the building. Even assuming that Himmel and Marigoff didn't have actual notice that this particular piece of facade was at risk for falling, it would still have what's known as constructive notice of this dangerous condition, which would render it legally responsible for Miss Tishman's death. Indeed, had the owner been performing regular inspections of the building's exterior facade, it would have discovered that it was in disrepair and needed to be fixed right away. And according to the Department of Buildings, no such inspection had taken place in more than five years, which is longer than allowed under Local Law 11 and a violation of the law, as is not maintaining the facade in a safe condition, violations which, in and of themselves, constitute evidence of negligence. Moreover, cracks in a building's exterior facade don't happen overnight. They develop over time and are usually readily observable, but only if you are performing inspections of the facade. So even assuming that the Department of Buildings never issued a violation to the building owner for not repairing the exterior facade, in the exercise of reasonable care, the owner should have known that its facade was cracked and posed a danger to the public and any pedestrian walking past the building. You don't wait for a piece of masonry to fall off or for someone to get seriously injured or even killed before you make repairs beforehand so that tragedies like this don't happen in the first place. And given the likelihood that someone hit by a falling piece of masonry will be killed, not doing so right away almost evinces gross negligence and a deliberate indifference to the public safety. So far, this podcast has only discussed the legal responsibility of the property owner. What about the managing agent, a company known as Marigoff Properties? At the time of broadcast, I don't yet have enough information to determine whether Marigoff Properties bears any legal responsibility for this tragedy. Although managing agents are contractually obligated to maintain properties, they are not legally responsible for maintaining them or for injuries caused by dangerous conditions on the property. It's only when a managing agent exercises what the courts call complete and exclusive control over a property that it becomes legally responsible for the conditions of the property and for maintaining it in a reasonably safe condition, which is rarely the case because the property owner usually reserves some level of control in the maintenance agreement, such as requiring approval for repairs that cost more than a certain amount of money, or perhaps employing all of a building staff. Sadly, the damages to which Miss Tishman's surviving family members may be entitled for her wrongful death are not nearly as much as you might think. And that's because, as progressive as New York State is on so many social issues, it has what is truly a cruel and outdated system for compensating those who have lost a loved one due to another's negligence or wrongdoing. In a wrongful death action, there can be two claims for damages, one for the decedent's conscious pain and suffering, and the other for damages sustained by the surviving family members. In this case, however, it's unlikely that Miss Tishman experienced any conscious pain and suffering after being struck by the falling masonry, or that she experienced any pre-impact terror before getting struck and without any evidence that she had some level of awareness of her condition, there can be no recovery for pain and suffering. To add insult to injury, her surviving family members can only recover what are known as pecuniary or economic damages. They cannot recover any damages for sorrow, mental anguish, injury to feelings, or loss of companionship, which means that if you lose the love of your life who meant everything to you, that loss is not compensable. You can't recover anything for it in the state of New York. 
Now, Miss Tisman was 60 years old at the time of her death and working at a construction project management firm. According to tables of working life uh, published by the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, she had approximately five and a half working years remaining. So assuming she contributed all of her earnings to her household and her husband, the monies she would have earned, less any income tax she would have paid on such earnings, are recoverable as damages. There could also be a recovery for the Social Security benefits she would have arguably collected upon her retirement, again, less any taxes she would have had to pay on such benefits. Her husband can also recover the value of the services she contributed to, her, to their household, again, not for the loss of her companionship, but for the services she would have performed around the home, whether it's housekeeping, taking care of the finances, etc. Basically, if a value can be ascribed to an activity, which economists do all the time, it can be recoverable as a damage. And lastly, there are her surviving children. Once again, there can be no recovery for their sorrow or loss of feelings due to the death of their mother. And apart from it maybe babysitting her grandchild, it's unlikely she performed any services for their respective households. Under these circumstances, her children can only recover pecuniary damages, which might include the loss of their mother's physical, moral, and intellectual training. With all of that said, a strong argument can be made for the imposition of punitive damages against this property owner. Again, several months before this tragedy, it had received a violation from the Department of Buildings for not repairing its facade and because it posed a falling hazard for pedestrians. And to not immediately repair the facade under such circumstances, especially given the likelihood that someone would be injured or even killed if struck by a piece of falling masonry, shows a reckless indifference to the public safety sufficient to allow for the imposition of punitive damages. Damages which are designed not so much to compensate the injured party, but to punish the wrongdoer and deter such behavior in the future. Of course, any such damages would not be covered by insurance, but would have to be paid by the building owner. And without such damages, this tragedy will be yet another sober reminder that New York's wrongful death statute, which is over 150 years old, is out of step with 41 other states that allow family members to be compensated for their grief and emotional loss, and all too often provides little justice for those who have lost a loved one. Thank you for listening to The Blame Game. This episode was brought to you by Kramer, Dunleavy, and Ratchik, PLLC. Come check us out at kdrpilawyers.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, and have a great day.